Holy Spirit, sanctify us by the truth, for your word alone is truth. Amen. So we are taking a look these couple of weeks at what we might call the, the practices of the Christian life. We're going through a boot camp. We're, we're getting torn down so that spiritually God can put us back together and to make us into the people that he would have us to be. We're learning those specific disciplines that let us know God nearly and dearly so that we can fear, love, and trust in him, as the first commandment says, above all things. And so the first week, we learned one of the first practices that God gave to his people in the Bible. He, he told us to fight sin. Fight sin is a way that we learn to, to grow close to God. The second week, then, he, he told us to be still. And our, our friend gave us those nice cards, free for nothing, just so that we could remember how important it is that our God is a, a great God, and we are called, then, to be still under his name. This week, he, he calls us to something that maybe is not as enjoyable or as beautiful as that picture of being still. He calls us to, to repentance. But before we talk about that, I want to think a little bit with you about the first lesson that we heard, rebellion. As I was studying that text this week, uh, the number 16 and the story of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, I was thinking about rebellion, and I realized just how important very famous stories of rebellion are to me. Probably the, the most uh, symbolic one is the, the story of Star Wars. Maybe for a lot of other people my generation or slightly older than me, um, Star Wars is like the paradigmatic story of our lives. I love Star Wars. I mean, it's a great story. It's the story of the underdogs. It's the story of, of Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia, and, and they rise up against the Empire, and everybody gets to go home happily ever after, after lots of struggles and battles and fighting. Isn't it? I mean, it's a great story. And does anybody ever cheer for the Empire when they watch Star Wars? Do you, do you ever cheer for the Empire? Of course not, right? Everybody cheers for the rebels. We cheer for the rebels. And so I realized, you know, I've learned in my life to be a rebel. It's the stories I love. I don't love the stories that teach authority and somebody in charge and how to be all, you know, prim and proper and march in line. I love the stories of the rebels. And, and I was thinking about this and I realized that that really probably has, has shaped my thinking a lot. I, I think about an interaction I had with a very nice lady one time who was talking to me about preaching and teaching, and she sort of said to me, why can't you just talk to us like normal people? Why can't you just you know, treat us like normal people who have real lives and hardships and everything? And why do you seem so, so distant and everything else? And I said, I want to. I really want to talk to you, and I, I want to preach to you and teach you like, like a normal person. And I realized... I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was just rebelling against the system. I couldn't help myself. I, I couldn't help. I had to fight the way things were and try to make it different. I had learned to be a rebel. What about you? I don't think any of us connect with Korodathan and Abiram in terms of our rebellion. Very few people come to me and say, Pastor, I want your spot. I really want to be able to, you know, preach and do all that stuff. I just, I want your spot. Nobody ever does that. All right, let's just be honest. 
but we rebel against our, our parents. We rebel against the authorities. We, we rebel against a lot of people, don't we? That is never going to work for us if we want to be close to God. The, 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 the truth that we heard uh, from, from Lewis a few weeks ago when we were talking about fighting sin, Lewis told us how, how we, were, we were spies, we were saboteurs behind enemy lines in this life and that the king, the true king, has invaded somewhat secretly into this life and he's, he's called us to fight against the enemies. That truth is true as far as fighting against the devil goes. But when it comes to being close to God, we can't be rebels. That posture will never work. That persona will never work. That identity will never work. And so I want to ask you today, are you a, a rebel or a beggar? We're taking a look today at Luke chapter 13. It's in, on page 849 if you've got one of these Bibles and you want to follow along. Or 847, excuse me, I just misspoke. It's on page 847 if you've got one of these Bibles in front of you. Or you can pull out your own Bible as we look at Luke chapter 13. And in this section, Jesus, the first thing he says, he makes a pretty simple but uh, very profound point. The first thing he says to us is that repentance is the universal need. It's the universal need. What's going on here is that he's talking to a group of people. We're not sure who's in this group of people. And he's talking to them about some recent tragedies. And so he pulls out this destruction of the Tower of Siloam as an example. He says, well, what about the Tower of Siloam? Do you think that those people were any worse people because the, the tower fell on them? And we don't know much about what happened with this tower. Um, it's likely that this was a tower in the southeast part of Jerusalem. We imagine that there were crowds of people gathered around like any disaster these days. Uh, and, and that most of the people survived unhurt. Some were injured, and, and sadly, 18 of them died. It was a terrible calamity. And, and just like you and me, when there's a terrible calamity, people were asking this question, why? Why these people? Why, did, why were they the ones who were, were struck down with death in this tower. You know, this is a really good example, isn't it, of, of how who we are comes out when we're squeezed. Do you know that saying? There's a, there's a saying, it's, it's actually fairly accurate, that who you are comes out when you're squeezed, when you, when you feel pressure. Okay, so what that means is when there's a tragedy like this, that creates a heavy weight of emotional pressure. You've, you feel squeezed. You've got to find an answer to it. You've got to resolve this difficulty in your mind. And, and it makes us realize that who we are is that you and I are people who constantly compare ourselves to others. Right? When bad things happen to us, we're people who tend to say, why is this bad thing happening to me? Am I such a bad person? Am I getting punished? What did I do wrong? Am, am I worse than that person over there? And when good things happen to us, then we tend to say, well, gee, you know, I really am a pretty good person. You know, I, I, must, be getting, I must be getting some success because I'm a pretty straight arrow. 
I fly nice and straight in life. I, I, do, a, I do a good job. I work hard. I'm obedient. Who we are comes out when we're squeezed, and, and who we are often tends to be people who, who compare ourselves to others. And then what Jesus is saying to us here is that instead of comparing ourselves to others, we need to hear the last words. We need to hear what he says at the end. See, Jesus says instead of thinking, oh, you're good or you're bad, his answer is, no, I tell you no. I tell you no, don't don't compare yourselves to others. It's not about who is better than whom or one person being better than others. No, the bottom line is what? That unless you repent, you'll perish. See, the good things in life and the bad things in life, they're all there to tell us to repent. And what's going on here, even when there's a bad thing, it's not to tell us that we've succeeded, but that it's time to repent. And the same is true for good things in life. Paul in, in Romans actually says something that's pretty amazing. Maybe you've, you've noticed before, maybe you haven't. But in Romans chapter 2, Paul says this, Do you show contempt for the riches of His, and that's God's kindness? Not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? See, what Paul is, is saying here in Romans is that when life is good for you, when you experience God's kindness... When you've got blessings upon blessings, that's a call to repent as well. And if you don't, you're showing contempt for his kindness. So do you see the point here? Is in, instead of comparing ourselves to others, instead of going through life when we get good things happen to us and say, well, I must be doing a, a good job in life, I must be walking the right path, and, and, and when bad things happen to us, instead of saying, wow, I must be really messing up, I must be doing a bad thing in life, I'm walking the wrong way and I need to change my life. We can't use the external circumstances of our lives to tell us how we're doing. Instead of comparing ourselves, we need to realize that everything is telling us to repent. We could put it this way, that good things are designed to lead you to repent and, and bad things are designed to lead you to repent It's always right. It's always the right thing to do to repent. You know Martin Luther, how he put it famously? Uh, He summarized it this way. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. It doesn't matter, right, whether you are going through good things or bad things. It's all it's all a call to repentance. And Jesus, he went on, he couldn't let just a few times go. He said this one time, Mark chapter 6, he said that when I send you out to preach, that everyone should repent. And the first sermon in the Bible after Christianity has come to life, Paul, or Peter, excuse me, Peter, preaching on Pentecost, he says this, he says that the people, they're all caught to the heart and he tells them the very worst first word is, is not even believe, but repent. See, all of, our, of a life of a believer it is supposed to be repentance. Now, do you realize what this is saying? It is, means that you can't use anything that you're going through in life to tell you whether or not you're doing the right thing. Right? When life is bad, it doesn't mean you're doing the wrong stuff. 
And when life is good, it doesn't mean that you're doing the right stuff. Everything in life, whatever you process, is, well, it's a call to repentance. Repentance is the key. It's the gate. It's the way that we can get through life and approach God. And maybe we could put it this way, that God will not deal with you and me unless you repent. And so I can ask you, are you happy? You happy? Good, then repent. Are you sad? I'm sorry to hear that, but repent. Are you rich? I'm glad, then repent. Are you poor? I'm sorry to hear that, then repent. Are you angry at people? I'm sorry to hear that, but repent. Are you pleased with people? I'm sorry, or I'm wonderfully glad to hear that. I'm confused myself even now, huh? But repent. Do you have lots of friends? Good relationships? Wonderful. Repent. Do you have no friends and you're lonely all the time? I'm sorry to hear that. Repent. See, how does this make any sense? But this is what Jesus says, is is that all of the believer's life, God will not deal with you and with me except through repentance. Now, the reason this doesn't make any sense to us I think it's probably because we don't understand repentance. How, how can God say you should repent continually? Because most of us, most of us don't we think about repentance as, as sort of a, a self-loathing? Right? We say to myself, well, I've got a lot of regrets in my life. I've made a lot of bad choices. I've done a lot of wrong things, so I, I better repent. Um, that's, not self, that's not repentance. That's just self-loathing. That's, that's self-flagellation. You're just beating yourself up. That's not repentance. Uh, in order, if you say to yourself, I'm really unhappy with the choices and with the way things have gone and I'm, I'm, I'm upset, I'm, I'm angry at the people around me, but then I'm sad that I'm, I'm angry at these people. Again, that's not, that's not repentance. That's just apologizing. And that's a good thing to do too. But it's not repentance. Repentance is two convictions about reality. Okay? Repentance is, is two convictions about reality. First, the first condition, conviction is this, that you can't repent and you haven't repented until you realize that you deserve to have the tower fall on you. Right, now, that's a, that's a hard thing to say. That's a, that's a tough thing. It's a sad thing to say. But you haven't repented until you realize that you deserve to have the tower fall on you. And, and where we used to talk about this and help people realize this is a lot of times we would have to have, have conversations about why bad things happen to good people. Okay? And so we'd have to spend time explaining to people, why are bad things happening to you? And maybe a classic example would be this one. Um, take a, a couple. The couple is good. They've got stable jobs. They've got a safe home, safe lives. They could definitely raise kids. And, and yet they can't have any children. And they look out at the, the world. They've got some acquaintances around and these acquaintances, you know, there's, they're not safe homes, single parents, not good jobs, it's not a stable life, and yet they are having kids. They're blessed with children. And, and we very often, we would, might meet friends or neighbors who would say, well, how is this fair, God? Right? Why are such bad things happening to me? Why can't I have kids when these people who don't have good, safe lives, they can have kids? And so we'd have to try to explain to people, you 
wouldn't you have to say this to people? You know, yeah, you're blessed, but that doesn't mean that you deserve it. That doesn't mean you're a good person. You'd have to try to show people that they don't deserve such a good life. But you know, one of the things I've noticed, and maybe you have too, is that it's starting to sink into people a little bit more that we don't deserve a good life. Maybe it's the fact that we've been in a war now for 20 plus years. Maybe it's the fact that the economy is, is sometimes going crazy and it's hard to get jobs. Maybe it's the fact that families are, are breaking down and, and we just don't know what to do about that. But people are, are realizing that maybe they don't deserve as much good as they thought. And I think about a, a story that I was reading about a girl named Jane. Jane is in high school. She's a uh, or in middle school, excuse me, she's 11 years old. And she, when she hit 11 years old, she said this about her, her life. She said she started to feel empty and miserable. She was never content or connected to other children. For years, she suffered alone, filled with shame. She switched schools, but that didn't help. In her own words, she said, I didn't feel unloved. I just felt numb to the world. Like I was surrounded by great things, but I couldn't be happy. And I don't know why that was. See, do you know what Jane is processing there? You've probably talked with people about it, but, but she looks at her life around her and she says, it's great, so what's wrong with me on the inside? Because I feel numb, I feel empty, I feel disconnected. It's not that I feel unloved, I just, I don't feel anything. I feel dead on the inside, is what she was saying. And you've probably, probably met people like that as well. See, what Jesus is telling us here is that there's a, there's a malignant, there's a radical self-centeredness and, and sin inside of us. Think about it. The God of the universe ha- has created this wonderful place to let us live in, and he's given us so many wonderful things about it. And, and as long as we put him first in our lives, if we fear, love, and trust in him above all things, How could we ever be numb on the inside? How could we ever be dead on the inside? How could we not have any life and joy and love? Because if you're looking around you and you've got all of this wonderful stuff, then how could you be dead here? But we are, aren't we? Because we put our own desires and our own wants and our own feelings first on this inside. And it's no wonder then that we're dead. And so the first conviction is that that we realize that you deserve to have the tower fall on you. But there's a second reality, right? There's a second conviction. There's a second truth that is a vital part of repentance, and it's this, that God is committed to saving you from what you deserve. That's God is committed to saving you from what you deserve. That's the other part of repentance that is vital. God will come to you and to me. And you know, we've seen wonderful pictures of this Sadly, um, now that we're going through cancer treatments and, and we see, know people who do that so often, uh, cancer, you know, it, it's, it's a terrible thing, but I think of the story of, of Scott. He was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Scott uh, had this and he received chemotherapy for it back in the late 90s and it worked for about a year and then the cancer came back. And so in 19, 1998, I believe it was, he was... Uh, 
it, he was told that he was going to have to receive treatment for an autologous stem cell tra transplant. Is that right? Auto auto autologous? Who's a nurse here? Somebody help me out with that. I practiced it and I still can't remember. Autologous anyway, what it means is basically he was going to have to receive a treatment where they take out his own stem cells, run them through a machine, purify them, right? Then they kill his whole body basically with radiation and chemo. They, they kill him till he's, he's practically dead and then they put him all back in. And he has to sit in isolation for weeks on end so that his body can regain health. They, they rip out those and that's exactly what they did. And that seemed to work after a few weeks. Uh, he slowly started to regain some strength and some health. Uh, and then, then horror struck, terror struck, because he, he still had some cancer in his abdomen. And then there was, only, there was only one answer left for him. He needed to receive what's called an allogeneic, geneic, allogeneic transplant. Because chemotherapy didn't work, radiation didn't work, even the autologous transplant didn't work, and so he needed to get what's called an allogeneic transplant. He needed a close sibling to give up his or her own stem cells so that he could have new life. And that's what happened. Um, they blasted his body with, with radiation, with chemo, until he was almost dead. And then they took his sibling's stem cells and they put them back into him, and he recovered. And he's, he's alive to this day. And you realize that that is what God has done for you and for me in Jesus. He has sent Jesus into the way. He has said, I'll take care of you. I will fertilize you. I will, I will give you new life so that you can live. Yes, you deserve death because you're empty and you're dead on the inside. There's nothing there. But I will save you from that death that you deserve. So do you know how you know if, if you've repented, if you can grasp this? Maybe try this picture on. Are you willing to let a close relative take death for you? See, imagine, imagine you're standing out on M89 and there is a car barreling down on you and, and for whatever reason, maybe you're stuck in cement, you can't move out of traffic. You're just stuck there and the car can't stop either. And so what are you going to do? You get a, a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter, somebody who can take the hit and stand in the traffic in front of you and stop the car. They've got superhuman strength and they can stop the car with their body, but they're, they're going to probably die in the process. That's what God has done for you in Jesus. He said that you deserve death, but he's willing to put his own son in the way so that you don't get hit with the car. And if you can realize that you deserve to have the tower fall on you, but you also realize that God is committed to saving you from what you deserve, that God is willing to let his own son die in the process, then you're getting repentance. And how can you not, how can you not appreciate that? How can you not be a beggar then for all that God wants to give you? See, you could, you could rebel against God, couldn't you? We all could. We could look at that picture and say, no, we don't want this. But Martin Luther, he learned throughout his, his life that the only way to get then anything from God was not to rebel against him, but to be a beggar, to constantly ask him for more. And that's what God does at the end of this parable. He is inviting you and me to be a beggar. He tells that little story of 
the, the fig tree. And in that fig tree parable, the little parable, he says to this, that the owner has come and he wants to cut this fig tree down. What is that? That's a warning for you and for me. If you hear God calling you now, if God is saying to you, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to receive from me what I want to give to you. You need to change your life and accept what I want to give you. Then now is the time. Don't treat God like a dog and put it off until sometime in the future. Repent now. But it's not just a warning. It's also a promise. Because the caretaker says, if it bears fruit next year, fine. And what that means is, no matter how many wrongs you've done in your life, no matter how many promises you've broken to God, no matter how many times you've said to God, no, I won't repent, no matter how many times you've turned away, no matter how many times you've rebelled, no matter how black your record is, if you repent, it's all fine. It's all fine. Do you see what this is saying to us? Don't turn away. Now is the time. But if you repent, it's all fine. So don't repent, rebel. Just repent. Can we be those repenters, those beggars? Will you do that with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we are, are going to receive your supper, your Lord's Supper. And everybody needs to find his or own path to repentance. Open our hearts now by your Holy Spirit so that we might respond to the fertilizing that's going on right now. Many of the bad things that happen in life, they confuse us. They lead us to think that either we're, we're good people or we're bad people when that's not the case. Either case, let us see that your son's efforts to bring us to repentance and to the joy of it. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.